Hey y'all, welcome again to another episode of our P1 podcast. Uh, I think we kick every single one of these episodes off with, this is my favorite episode yet. Uh, but in this case, this one is Drew's favorite episode because uh, we've got some users of our platform uh, that are here to kind of share some of their experiences, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so without further ado, we'll let our guests introduce themselves uh, just quickly. Uh, we've got Jackie, uh, who represents Space Force, uh, Ralphie, who represents one of the application teams that's utilized Party Bus to get in production, uh, and then Christian, who's kind of got two perspectives, uh, one from Tron, which is one of our uh, software factories utilizing Party Bus and deploying applications, as well as uh, the Airman Coders Initiative. Um, so Jackie, then Ralphie, then Christian, you guys want to give a little more of your background? Yeah, um, thanks, Drew, and thanks for inviting me on the podcast. Um, I'm definitely honored that you invited me on. Uh, so my background, I've got, I think I also bring a couple of different perspectives here too, because I was one of the original founders of Space Camp, um, you know, back in the day, back in like late, late 2018, when we were showing up at Catalyst Campus, we didn't have furniture, we didn't even have carpet in the room that we were using. Uh, you know, we were literally just like huddled on the floor. I think we had whiteboards for some reason, we had whiteboards, but not desks or chairs. Um, you know, just whiteboarding out, how are we going to get this off the ground? How are we going to turn this into a software factory? We've got basically 10 people who just volunteered their time, but no money, no contracts, um, just kind of mapping out our vision. So that was like really fun to be a part of. Uh, after we really got rolling, I, um, I, I worked as a developer for actually quite a few different product teams at Space Camp, most of my time with the Space Cockpit team, and then later moved into more of a leadership role with Space Camp when Platform One stood up and uh, you know Rob left, he, he became the director of Platform One and handed off his job to me um, as the camp counselor, which, which was great. You know, I, I basically just had to manage like the care and feeding of the people there, um, make sure everybody was happy and enjoying their job and, and enabled to serve the mission. Um, after that, I worked at the Chief Technology and Innovation Office uh, as you know one of the first members there, actually, too, the, the first of its kind office in the Space Force at all, tasked with just executing on General Raymond's vision, uh, the, the vision for a digital service for the Space Force. Big task. I started the Super Coders program, which is a spinoff of Airman Coders, which Christian, I'm sure we'll talk about. And now I actually work for Space Launch Delta 45 as their digital and innovation officer. Thanks, Jackie. Uh, Ralphie? Hey, yeah, thanks, Drew and Austin, for uh, inviting me on the podcast. This is going to be a, a good discussion. Uh, nice to see Jackie and Christian in person. I feel like we, uh, Jackie, not so much, but definitely Christian and I message and talk on the phone all the time, but good to see uh, at least on video, I guess not in person. Um, so I'm a air battle manager and um, really started with P1 in the early days uh, with Widow, which is a mission planning application. Went through a lot of the growing pains from the beginning, I think with P1 and Widow, right? Like I would come to you guys with, hey, I need to do this. And then we needed to do this. And it was always, well, we've never done that before, but let's figure it out. So that was pretty cool. Uh, looking forward to the discussion. Appreciate it, Ralphie. Uh, and then last but certainly not least, Christian. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. And like Jackie said, it's actually kind of an honor to be here. Uh, you look at this like group of people across the top of my Zoom screen, and they've done some really amazing things for the software space in, in the Air Force. So 
I'm Christian Breckfield. I'm a C-17 instructor pilot by trade. Uh, spent five years at Charleston, which is when I kind of got involved with this. And uh, now I'm sitting over at uh, AMC headquarters thinking about kind of the future of software and our command and how we look at the future fight. They said in the intro, I started with uh, Tron and working on this program called Puckboard, which is flight scheduling and now post-mission paperwork. And then I also spent a lot of time working on this thing called uh, Airman Coders, which was built around this notion of how do we let any service member or airman at the time, this is even before the Space Force existed, think about code for purpose, code for mission effect, like at their desktop. How do they use these modern tools that exist everywhere to improve their day-to-day -day mission uh, requirements? And then, uh, you know, with marine coders and super coders, you know, they just took that concept and ratcheted it up to 10, took it to the next level. So uh, really excited to be here and talk about this. I think most of what we've accomplished wouldn't have been possible without P1. And then, you know, we've been through some of the growing pains too. So looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody for the intros. And as Drew mentioned, I, I want to definitely cover the good, bad, and the ugly uh, to just, you know, be humble and share, share all the good and the, and the weaknesses that we have and still have. Um, quite frankly, and it's been really fun to work with all three of you in particular, because like, like you all mentioned, there's been a lot of growing pains from like product inception to having something and, and you three probably represent some of the most patient uh, customers we ever had. And as the person who, you, who typically had to talk to senior leaders about what is platform one and what is a platform, um, as you've probably experienced as well, like platforms aren't super sexy to most people, right? It's like all this underlying software that actually serves other software that provides no utility to an end user in and of itself. Um, everything is in partnership with an application team who's focused on a very specific mission. Um, and that kind of partnership is really what we want to kind of explore today. Um, so the uh, same uh, next question for all three of you, we'll go with uh, Ralphie, Christian, then Jackie this time to kind of rotate the order. Let's start with what value you think Platform One provided to you. Like what made you seek out Platform One and what benefit did you receive from working with us? Yeah, Austin. So I think uh, I forgot to mention how did I hear about P1 on the last one. So I'll throw that in real quick. But uh, really, the the initial place I heard about P1 was through the ABMS applications team as they were trying to you know get applications built and in front of the user. And so um, you know what what value did P1 provide from the beginning? In my mind, the the two biggest things were the ability to go fast and the ability to put my application in front of my end user on a military network. And we were running into a lot of issues where we could build a modern application that even met cybersecurity standards that the Air Force and DOD had set, but because it hadn't gone through a particular platform in this case, or a particular cloud-hosted environment like uh, PartyBus to put in front of a user, uh, we couldn't get it there. And, you know, P1, uh, like you mentioned earlier, Austin, there, it's not sexy, right? But there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to actually make all of this possible. And um, it's, I think it's good that the end users can just go and access the application and do what they need to do and not have to worry about all of that backend work. Um, if they want to dig into it, there's obviously places like Space Camp and Airman Coders and other organizations like Tron where they can dig in. But if I just need to be a user and get something done fast and get operator feedback on that application as well, P1 in my mind is the only game in town. 
Yeah, Ralphie, I want to just put on something you said because I think it's super interesting. And it's a you know, widow is a great use case where you partnered with a really good defense industrial based company who was very good at modern software development and they create a great mission application, but they, you know, to move fast and they know how to do it, they do it in their own kind of VPC or enclave or wherever they normally do dev. The problem is you can't touch operational data unless you're accredited. And a lot of those great div partners don't know how to get accredited. And so the, the chasm that a lot of us uh, originally helped start Platform One Saul was, you know, AffWorks kind of came along four or five years ago, whatever it was, and made getting small businesses and great companies it, a lot easier to get on contract and funded. But the one thing that happened was, you know, a certain percentage, I can't remember, Joey Aurora always spouts the stat to me, like a certain percentage of those companies are doing software. And like, none of them have a way to go from their enclave and great mission app to actual production with mission data in front of their users. And I think uh, Widow was an example of that succeeding underneath kind of the AppWorks banner originally, if I remember right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, uh, Widow did start out as a, you know, an AppWorks. Uh, it was a, what did they call it? A, um, I can't remember what it was. It was some small business, like they brought in a hundred small businesses down in Austin and then they had people pitch problems. I pitched the problem Widow was trying to solve and then, you know, sorted through some companies there. But yeah, all of them had the same concerns uh, that you just mentioned. All right, thanks, Ralphie. Uh, Christian, over to you. Yeah, I'd echo everything Ralphie said. I think the biggest value that both Puckboard and Airman Coders have gotten from P1 is the ability to actually deliver production value to our customers, right? If you're an operational commander out there in the field or you're an aircraft commander out flying the line, it doesn't matter what's sitting in a dev environment or in some staging environment or some QA environment, right? That work does no good to you. We work starts to realize value for the warfighter when it's in production and you can use real mission data in it. And that's what P1 has allowed us to do. You know, I think I often joke that if P1 wasn't here, Puckboard would still be working on its ATO, not on our third CTF, right? We, the other thing value I think that it provided was that it's just like Ralphie said, that speed. Air Force IT, I think is often, uh, you know, a lot of times over the years, broken trust with users. So I imagine Ralph experienced this too, as a new software system going out to these pilots and these air crew members and saying, hey, we can actually do business better for you. And we can actually iterate and make it better. We got a lot of like, I'll see it when I believe it, right? And so being able to sit with a squadron scheduler in the morning Obviously, we couldn't do it at this speed for everything, but they'd say, hey, this little thing here is not quite right. And to then come back at three o'clock in the afternoon and be like, yo, refresh your screen. And it's there, like jaws hit the floor, right? And that everything that P1 stands for from your continuous ATO and infrastructure as code and Big Bang and then the managed you know, instance with Party Bus that we're lucky enough to use, that is what enabled Puckboard to do that. And that's why we're successful today. Right. I like to believe it's because we have the best coders in the world. I think there are some other folks out there that might disagree with me on that. But one of the things that really set us apart was P1's dedication to actually making the mission happen so we could actually get into production and P1's understanding of the realities that operational users face. Right. From an AMC perspective, it was really important to us that our folks could connect at the point of mission execution which is on an aircraft in a field 
in the middle of nowhere, right? Not at an AFNET terminal. So some of the work you guys have done from CNAP and on through to make that a reality has really been a huge piece of value to us. Yeah, and I think uh, it's really cool to hear Ralphie and you go back to back because your story was a little bit different where we had airmen coders actually riding with defense industrial based programmers. Uh, much like Platform One was founded, we were lucky enough to have Jeff and Matt originally who you know lived operational life as IT guys, enlisted guys. So they had that domain expertise, but also like mission wise, but also knew how to write software. And this idea that like, I remember once when I was working space ops, we had a tech sergeant who also had software development skills, load a different bash script to our weapon system, which was classified and he actually got, it fixed a problem, it's an urgent mission need and they pulled his TS clearance for it. And like those, that to me is one of the whys that I've always remembered of starting platform one. I'm like, that's ridiculous, right? Had, had, if that person had the tools to solve their own problem, just like you mentioned with the scheduler, that could have been fixed within hours and pushed right back into operational data. Yeah, also I think that's a great point. One of the things that I love about P1 is it uh, makes right easy. Well, maybe not easy, but at least doable, right? If uh, I've been that guy, not having had my clearance yanked, thankfully, but I've been that guy that's sitting there going, I have some of these skills. I'm not a good coder, but I can hack something together. And I'm going, man, I just need to get this on a network, right? And that's kind of where the Airman Coder stuff came into play too, is creating a path for those people to maybe get a little bit of upskilling, right? To learn how to code on a team and to do production quality code and stuff like that. But then also to learn our cyber rules and to be able to do that all the way through to a staging or a production environment. So what P1 delivered with this ability to actually log into all the tools, right? The whole CICD pipeline, the whole nine yards and have that go all the way through to production on a .mil domain. I mean, that's huge. And that's a, a great transition to, to Jackie, who also, as you heard earlier, spent time as a software developer originally for Space Camp and then uh, really predates Platform One in his existence and, and knew, honestly, the team before I even met them. So, uh, Jackie, over to you this time. Awesome. Thanks. Um, so my my Platform One origin story is, is kind of funny, so I'll tell it. Um, I I actually met my, my husband at Space Camp at the time. You know, we didn't know each other all that well, um, but uh, we were paired programming together as developers on the team, eventually got to know each other, turned into a space camp love story. And um, we took a trip to Japan for about a month um, towards the end of, I guess it would have been 2019. And so we were gone for a long time. And when we came back to space camp, um, you know, we had some big news because we'd gotten engaged on this trip to Japan, but we came back and our news was not interesting because everything at space camp had changed in this month that we were gone. Um, we came back and our entire platform team had moved out of space camp and moved across the hall into a different room at Catalyst campus and was calling themselves something completely different. Um, so we came back and we're like, what's happening? What's happening here? Um, and Rob came to me and he said, Hey, how would you like my job as the space camp counselor? And I said, no, I would not like your job. Thank you very much. <laughs> and he said, uh, too late. You're already the camp counselor. So, uh, we came back and we had completely different roles. My husband became the CISO of space camp. Um, and our space camp platform team had moved on to bigger and better things to be platform one, um, to service, you know, the entire DOD, which is absolutely incredible. It blew my mind that so much could change in just the month that I was out of the country. So anyway, that's my, my P1 origin story. But uh, to really talk about like the value that it's brought to my group now, um, I want to talk just briefly about like the specifics of what we're trying to do at Space Launch Delta 45. 
Uh, Our leadership, our commander at Space Launch Delta 45 is General Purdy, and he has a very clear vision for what he wants to do with uh, the bases that he commands um, and the launch mission in general. Um, He wants to completely eliminate email communications, move everything into Mattermost, eliminate creating obsolete products like Word documents or PowerPoint that are old the second you publish it, um, and stream all data into dashboards. And really what platform one has provided is a a pathway to do any of this, you know, without, without platform one, um, we wouldn't have a common way to, to talk to each other in different groups, you know, on our phones, but still IL-4 approved. Um, You know, we wouldn't have access to collaboration tools that, you know, we can work with other groups and connect to our other platform one apps and all this kind of stuff. The way I describe it to, to people, it's like sometimes they have a hard time wrapping their heads around what exactly platform one is. I, I know it's not like a perfect analogy, but I, I explain it as um, you can think of platform one as like an operating system on your phone where I have like a hundred apps on my phone. Um, and without the operating system on my phone, I'd have nowhere to put these apps. I'd have no way to access other apps that other people have made. Um, and I'd have no like common way to have them interact with each other. Um, and I can do it from anywhere. So that's kind of how I describe platform one, but for, for military applications and capabilities and communication and collaboration. Uh, and that's really the value that it's, it's brought to, to us at, at Space Launch Delta 45 is just in the ability to collaborate, work together, use other people's capabilities. Um, I totally didn't expect somebody to say that platform one's value was uh, getting married. Uh, so that was, that was a fun <laughs> nugget you threw in. Awesome. Appreciate all three of your stories. Um, I think it's important, right, for us to to reiterate the the value proposition of Platform One because it's easy to get our heads down and, and kind of lose sight of the impact that we have. Um, and I think a couple of you have come and shared your stories with the team, which is is huge for us as well. Uh, but now we get to the fun part of the podcast. Uh, so the bad and the ugly. Uh, and I think I've talked to at least Christian and Jackie about this probably within the past two weeks uh, about some of the pain points and frustrations. Uh, but maybe for brevity's sake, let's let's try to distill it down to one per person. If you want to touch on some other ones, that's totally fine. Uh, but maybe focus on one. Uh, so starting with you, Christian, like what is one thing you would change about Platform One and why? Uh, so I'm going to start with this one thing rule uh, and immediately change it to a two thing rule. Uh, sorry, Drew. Uh, there, I think it's two things. One is enterprise funding. I would, if I was king for a day, this would be funded for the entire DOD so that it's where you live in a software defined world. And I think we need to continue to do work to make it easier and lower the barrier of entry for whether it's a dib company, a government team, a military member team, whatever it is to do software right. And to do that in a, a way that makes sense for their team and delivers value to the government. And Jackie, I'm stealing that analogy, right? But every time, you know, it, to make it easier for people to put their apps into this ecosystem so everybody can benefit from them. And then the second ties hand in hand is that, and that's automation, right? Uh, you know, P1 has grown a lot and done some really awesome things, but there are still some things like pipeline creation that maybe take uh, too high a, a skill level for folks. Um, and that, you know, creates a barrier of entry that creates a little bit of a backlog. So, you know, the two things I would change are enterprise funding, make this available to everybody. Um, and then the second is automation so that people can just log in, sign up, get going, and, and move out and start delivering value. 
Awesome. Thanks, Christian. And, and I'm okay with you breaking the rule immediately. I'm pretty sure that's like a core tenant of our culture is somebody asks you to do something and you kind of do that, but something else. Um, and, and appreciate the, the feedback as well. Uh, so, so Jackie, same question, kind of what's your biggest pain point? Uh, how might we fix it? And why is it so bothersome? Okay. Uh, so Christians, first of all, we're both really good. Um, I think in the space force, we would definitely echo both of those. But one thing I, I noticed, and actually, you know, you and I drew, we, this was highlighted earlier this week in a meeting we were in, knowing what's available on platform one to other users of platform one would be so much value added. You know, we were, we were in that room. I was showing you off a platform one app and you said, wait, this is a platform one app. How did I not know about this? You know, it's just, if we had some way to see what else has been built since, like I mentioned, the value is being able to use, you know, other apps and capabilities that other people have created. But if we don't know they're out there, we can't take advantage of it. Um, so some kind of app store or, or, or other ways to see transparency into the entire ecosystem would help a ton. Also transparency with, you know, our, our license management and, and I guess just transparency with platform one users and, and consumers in general. I think at my group, I'm pretty sure we're the largest consumer of platform one um, products in the space force. Uh, and, and we often have to struggle to, to hear about things that are coming in, you know, big news from platform one, what's in your pipeline, what, you know, what, what's in your backlog that you're going to be adding you know, new features. Um, and so it's just some kind, some way to communicate with us better, about what's available and what's coming. Uh, I was just gonna say, I'm like embarrassed to admit that I've never thought of that as an issue, Jackie, like literally till this minute and I've lived inside P1 for three years. Um, <laughs> but that's like, I just heard that, like the stuff Christian said, I obviously know it echo as well, but like you just said that, I'm like, oh my God, that would be so simple to do. Like literally that should take our team a day or two. Um, so uh, great feedback. That's how you know it's a good idea when it's like ob so freaking obvious that we should have done it previously. <laughs> It's obvious to people on the outside, but definitely not people on the inside. So yeah, great, great conversations today for sure. Awesome. Appreciate it, Jackie. All right, Ralphie, I'm going to throw it over to you. I feel like Christian and Jackie have been a little easy on us. So I'm expecting you to really bring the hammer down about some of the pain points. Hey, Drew. Uh, thanks. So I think I'll, I'll do one and a half. Uh, Jackie kind of her answer on the knowing what's available in P1 tied into, you know, the main thing that I wanted to talk to, which is uh, I, I think the P1 like marketing game is, is really good. And I think people, you know, see it. And if you're in the circle, you kind of see it, but I think what's missing is a more streamlined approach to like, what is platform one Right. I think Austin, we talked about this a, a few months back when during the Kessel Run discussions on just like, you know, what is how is platform one moving forward? And, you know, party bus isn't going to scale to the entire DOD. And while everybody on this podcast understands that and how we can move forward, I think we're going to talk about that uh, in a few minutes here. But the the biggest problem I see is that the smart folks outside of software circles don't really understand that they they hear platform one and they hear oh well that's cool i'm going to call up austin and brian and get me some platform one and then i'm going to be set and it's very hard like in the job i'm in right now at the rco on the acquisition side of things of, of all things now on trying to buy these services and like keep them going and you know, all of the little bits and pieces, it's like pulling teeth out of P1 to try and figure out 
what makes up all the things, how much it actually costs, and then what are we actually getting out of it. So I think in order to scale, like Christian was talking about, we really need to get down to some fidelity on, on those you know, business side aspects of things so that we can empower our leaders to say, yeah, where can I sign the check? Because I, I'll tell you, they want to, they just, uh, I, I think we need to provide them with some better information and, and a better roadmap, if you will. It's interesting and something I guess I've never really thought that deeply on either, but I think if I had a nickel for every time somebody came and asked, how do I buy a P1? We would have our enterprise funding problem solved. I was, I was going to say the exact same thing, Drew, like literally how Ralphie described it. I've had probably 200 phone calls where somebody's like, I'm buying P1. And I'm like, okay, what do you need? And they're like, P1. And I'm like, that's not super helpful. Um, I'm glad you're here though. I'm, I'm going to selfishly answer this question as well, because uh, as a guy who kind of helped uh, lead platform one, or at least was the guy that accountable to some of the decisions we made <laughs> from time to time. I want to point because they were too easy on us, Drew. So I'm going to, I'm going to take shots at myself and, and the collective team. I think the number one thing at P1 that I think sometimes we've lost sight of that is more of a soft skill that, that hurts me the most is, is just customer service, right? At the end of the day, and it's, it's easier said than done, but we have all these application teams and all these collaboration users. Um, and they're doing really, a lot of them are doing very important jobs. And we forget that in a world of being remote and communicating a lot through chat ops and tickets that people are still people and that, you know, people get frustrated and we should never get frustrated back. Right. And I, you know, I, myself, I grew up uh, working in a grocery store for four years from age 15 to 19. And, and part of that was working in the customer service of a grocery store. And like, uh, I think unless you've worked in a service oriented industry, you kind of, it's easy to forget those lessons. And a lot of people that work in IT haven't had to deal with that before. And then I'm going to take, I'm going to take two more. And then maybe Drew ask of you, if you want to throw one on, but I think big, big picture, right. Moving away from kind of the day to day. And, and this one will resonate with Jackie. I'm surprised she didn't bring it up, but we, we don't have a, an LDAP solution. And for, for people who aren't familiar with that term, it's, it's basically like we can't delegate pseudo admin privileges to certain tools which means our core users who have thousands of users that they've brought, like Jackie, can't manage their own users, even though they have the knowledge and capability to. And the reason that's such a big deal is because P1 becomes the blocker as we scale to doing any sort of admin on any tool. And that's, that's not scalable. Um, and major IT companies have figured that out. There's a lot of open source tools available to go do this. A lot of the cloud service providers have them. Um, and, and it's not an easy uh, challenge to tackle. There's a lot of cybersecurity risk around it. So I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just trying to point fingers at ourselves. I, I know my replacement, Camden Katie's uh, spending a lot of cycles with the team trying to figure that out. And then the other one is, I, I think the, the entire concept of the CATO does have some flaws. Um, I don't think it's really built to help brownfield migration or brownfield application development and dependencies on upstream open source projects. There's a lot of things about getting code back into old repos and getting them approved and pushed through that don't match the architecture and scanning type tools that we use in the CI process. Um, and it's all kind of related under like, what is a CATO and how do we implement that through technology? I, I think we have a long ways to go to figure out how we support a lot of those customers in the DOD. And that's always been a point of frustration for me. Like, I think we need to continually evolve a process just like anything else. And I think like we kind of got the CATO as a community and we're like, yay, we're here and we can support, you know, a segment, but really that segment is the minority, not the majority. And that's, that's been a point of frustration for me. Drew, I'm going to pass it to you to see if you got one that frustrates you. 
Uh, so I'm going to cop out a little bit here because I actually got to answer this in a previous episode. Uh, so a little teaser for going to listen to episode four, where we talked about some of the scaling uh, challenges, our, our ideas of organizational theory, if you will. Uh, but the, the teaser is uh, knowledge transfer, right? So like lots of organizations, some of the folks that were here in the early days build up a lot of breadth and depth of experience and trying to bring new people into that ecosystem is it's just a hard problem that I don't think we've found the secret sauce on yet. Okay. And this is going to be the last official question. Then there will be a little bit of story time. And I, I'm really interested in the answers here because we have three of the, the smartest people we've probably ever had on the show, especially those that have been deep in the software ecosystem, really in the entire DOD space. Um, so want to hear from each of you, like, what do you think the future holds, right? This kind of software factory concept means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. There's a lot of scaling issues. There's talk amongst major commands about kind of realigning where some of these things belong and how it gets resourced from a human capital perspective. Um, whatever you feel passionate about hitting on. Um, I think we're starting with Ralphie this time. Ralphie answered last, I think, right? Um, okay, so Ralphie, we'll start with you, then Christian and Jackie. Just where do you think the software ecosystem is going or, or maybe where it needs to go? Yeah, thanks, Austin. Um, and this is a tough question. I've been thinking about this since you since you sent them ahead a few days ago. Um, so I think I think why the software factories have scaled or why I guess there's so many of them now is you know, people, you know, airmen and guardians, like they they see the need and they see an outlet to go and actually do something that they can, you know, they can interact with and they're solving problems with. And so that, that part of it is, is really great. But I guess what I'm worried about is kind of what you were alluding to, Austin, is now that these capabilities are expanding and uh, we're giving access to people to solve problems, command and commanders and, you know, senior leaders are, starting to try and bucket these things together into a very, you know, specific structure, which, I mean, we're in a, in a DOD environment, right? That that's what people are used to, but so, that, so that's something I'm worried about because I, I don't want these, you know, open processes and these tools that we're, we've given to our airmen and guardians to all of a sudden, like not be as great because they're getting constrained organizationally. What I think would be interesting in the future uh, for that future ecosystem would be to have to truly have a DoD uh, platform one big bang baseline across the DoD so that if we can stop the proliferation of the other things or I'm going to build my own thing here and everybody's going to come do that if we can get somebody to decide and i i really think the j6 may do this soon i hope so i've heard some chatters but if we can get that decision made and get people out of the whole like platform wars thing or hey i've got my own service platform or any of that and we have a baseline what i would like to see in the future is applications that other services have solved a problem with, because we're not all as unique as we as we like to think we are, uh, which goes back to something Jackie said earlier about just seeing what's available. But now, you know, I want to solve joint problems with P1 as well. And all of our problems in the future are going to be joint. There's nothing that we're going to do alone. And then I would also add in coalition as well, right? We have a lot of good partners 
like the Aussies and the Brits particularly come to mind that want to build modern, good software with us. And I think if we use a DoD platform one, you know, Big Bang baseline, and we give our partners access to it and they're contributing code and they're building applications that we can all use, like that's what I think the future should look like. And I'm so glad you said that because if I had to pick two things, uh, I can't pick just one, but that would be one of the two. And, and quite honestly, I think Ralphie just, in my opinion, articulated the, the vision of what Platform One wants and aspires to be um, as we continue to evolve. But I really appreciate that, Ralphie. That was really good. Um, Christian, over to you. I think we're going to go through a period of contraction first. If we take a step back and look at the world, like find me a mission set anywhere in the DOD, the government, or our partners that doesn't rely on software. I would challenge anybody to come up with one. Um, and if there are some that are completely in the dark ages and disconnected, find me one that couldn't be improved by software, right? So the software needs, I think, are just going to become more and more and more ubiquitous, right? Like Ralphie was talking about, everybody sees the need. That's why we have all these factories. The Air Force, though, has a, a uh, and I think probably the military in general, but especially the Air Force has a fascination with specializing. And so, you know, I, I don't know in the future, does it look more like, does software look more like the mission support group model where every base has one? Or does it look more like the C-17 model where everybody has to pay, a, you know, fee for service to a couple folks. I know that I'd rather see it personally be uh, the ubiquitous thing, but I, unfortunately, I think we're going to see a scale down before we, we see that go out to everybody. And maybe that's right so we could get it, you know, a standardization across the board that allows us to share back and forth. I think the we are going to continue to see the software ecosystem drive the rest of the military. One of the things I really love about P1 is it has changed the way AMC looks at software and how we look at buying things. And I think, you know, there've been lots and lots of discussions about software acquisition and stuff like that. And now we're seeing that bleed over into hardware acquisition with things like digital engineering, which is using software, but how do we buy all of these things better, faster, cheaper? Um, and in you know, the software world, people are starting to get accustomed to, I can actually have more and pay less. Um, and so I think we're going to see that impact across out into the rest of the service. And unfortunately, the cynic in me thinks we're going to see a contraction and then we're going to see a, a minor revolt, right? The commanders in the field are going to say, this isn't meeting my need. I need software. I need it yesterday. I need it to adapt to the, you know, the realities of whatever the current operation is. And I can't be going through a multi-year process to do that. I can't have to go beg and plead somebody else to do it for me. Um, but I think we're going to try and squeeze it into our current model as it exists with some kind of contraction. And then we're going to see the field, the demand from the operational field come back and say, no, I need more of this. Yeah, that's super interesting, Christian. I've never thought of the mission support group analogy, but it does make a lot of sense. I want to think more about that. But I, the other thing that you reminded me of that I really love about P1 that I think made us unique along the way is a lot of our demand signal, if not all of it, was coming from the operational community, not program officers, right? Like the people using capability were the ones talking to us, the ones even developing their own capabilities, right? And I think you know, we get this abstraction all the time between like warfighter acquisitions and, you know, people writing code or whatever. And we kind of, I think at Platform One, in some ways, we were able to remove that abstraction, which was a really powerful, a really powerful tool. So thanks for that perspective. Okay, Jackie, over to you. 
All right. So I think on the Space Force side, especially, we're going to see a shift towards more organic development um, rather than outsourcing it to contractors. Because um, right now, you know, really the, the military coders, the service members doing the job are, are actually the, the exception and not the rule. Um, but in the Space Force, you know, we've set up mechanisms for uh, actually coding people on their Air Force specialty code with the indicator that they are a coder. And on the flip side, also identifying, you know, places for them, billets um, that are reserved for full-time coders. So we've got most of the pipeline set up now with super coders, um, pumping out trained coders with great skills that apply directly to being able to do DevSecOps. Um, I mean, we even train them specifically to use Platform One um, and then having, you know, actual positions for them where they can do this full-time. Uh, so, you know, it's still, it's still new, it's still in the works, but the target is to have, you know, up to possibly even 400 people at any given time with this Z prefix, identifying them as a coder. Uh, so I think that we'll be taking on a lot more of the software development burden um, from, on actual service members now taking it away from contractors, um, which is great. I also can foresee um, in the future having actually a little bit more interaction with some of industry's best where maybe we bring in Netflix coders or Google coders or Facebook coders um, for short stints to get, you know, interim secret clearances and do hackathons, you know, side by side with super coders or airman coders. And now I'm going to throw all that out the window and say, I also think that we're being arrogant if we think we can predict what the future of the software ecosystem is going to look like. Uh, you know, ask any of us this three years ago, we would have had no idea. None of us would have said, oh, I think there's going to be a platform one. They're going to create a common platform for the DoD. Nobody would have been able to predict that. Um, so saying saying we think we know what's going to change in the next three years is it's that's actually impossible. You know, technology changes so fast, um, and we you know as the DoD we need to be able to shape shift, change form, and and adopt new technologies and new methodologies as they emerge. I love that you threw in a shot of humility there at the end. That's exactly what we needed. I forgot to introduce Jackie as the Space Force's software influencer. That's what I, I always refer to her as. Uh, I told her she needs to change her LinkedIn to that. Um, but I am really glad you brought up, that's like the other big passion area of mine that I was hinting at after Ralphie spoke, which is like the human capital management. Like at some point you're, you're investing in all these people. What, what do you do next with them? Right. And I think the space force is ahead of what I've seen in the air force, at least on, on having a plan. And, uh, hopefully you spread some of that goodness over to the air force side, cause we definitely need it. Um, okay. Drew back over to you. I just want to add real quick that at first J Jackie was totally tugging at my heartstrings. Like as somebody who used to wear the camo pajamas to work, right? Like the talent exists, the expertise is there. Uh, I worked with plenty of airmen who could solve their own problems if we just gave them away. And then she of course just had to crush my entire existence. And now I'm questioning everything about my life, uh, which I love because that's exactly the type of world I want to live in is one where we're continuously learning and growing. So now to, to kind of wrap things up, like we do every episode, I uh, want to hear a favorite story from everyone. Uh, so Jackie, I'll turn it over to you. I think your marriage story was technically a space camp story because you didn't know about platform one. So you have to come up with a different one. Sure. Um, so my my fondest memories of working with platform one were actually right by the beginning of COVID. Uh, so this was, you know, I, I think I think it was just a couple days after we had switched to full remote work at space camp. I got a call from Rob, as most of my stories start are with a call from Rob. Um, and, and he says, hey, we're trying to do this thing. We want to you know, set up this Mattermost instance where we can get everybody across the DOD in this IL-4 environment. 
um, talking and actually enabling telework. And I was like, okay, what do you need from me? And he's like, well, we don't have anybody to manage the help desk. So we're going to need you to volunteer. Um, oh, and can you bring your husband into this too? So it's like me and Tori losing all, all of our free time. We're like working from home together for the first time ever, but we got to manage this like 24 hour help desk for platform one L four, uh, Mattermost. but it was amazing. Like I was working with Christian every day. We were on zoom calls together, um, passing off, you know, managing the help desk in, in these, you know, eight to 12 hour long shifts to make sure we had 24 hour coverage. We onboarded probably like 50,000 users in the first month we were open, um, spending most of our time teaching people how to use multi-factor authentication. Cause apparently that's really hard for people. Um, but yeah, standing up teams for, for groups that are, that had no idea what to do when we switched to telework, you know, they lost their, their access to Nipper and they were, they couldn't do any work anymore. So it, it was just like incredibly rewarding to be able to help these people have a place to talk and work and then just spend hours of every day with some of the coolest people that, and, and most motivated service members that I've ever had the opportunity to work with. Yeah, I will say I've, I've seen some pretty impressive things in my career, but being even tangentially related, because I don't think I was as involved as you and, and Christian were in some of those early days, like is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life, professional, personal, whatever. Um, it was a really awesome experience. Uh, so Christian, since she somewhat name dropped you, you can't also use that story now, but I'll turn it over to you for your favorite story. So mine is a small subset of that, because all of the things that Jackie was talking about, like... 100% spot on. We talked about IT help desk humility. Nothing has humbled me more than trying to explain multi-factor authentication to people that had no idea what it meant. But mine is from that same time too. It, it, it's like 1.30 in the morning on the help desk. And we're still rapidly iterating Mattermost at this time. We're like two or three updates a day, like major updates a day. And I'm on with Matt Houston and Jeff McCoy at like 1.30 in the morning. And this is the thing I love about P1, that this random pilot in Charleston could be on hacking away at an urgent operational need with some of the greats of software and platform development in the DAF. Um, and Matt is telling this story about a pilot that he had a 30-minute phone call with like, six, 12 months earlier, who had like built this app, right? And he was like, I wonder whatever happened to that. And I was like, Matt, that was me. Um, and, uh, and so what the little bit of the backstory is, this is what kicked off Airman Coders is I, we needed like a Quizlet type thing for FOUO for the flyers trying to memorize these master question file tests that we have. And so I built one. In classic Air Force fashion, it took me two and a half days to build it and another eight months to get it fielded. And I was shopping around asking, how does one field a mobile app in the Air Force, right? And some folks connected me with Matt and Matt like was kind of talking about this space camp thing, right? And he's like, yeah, but we don't really do mobile. And the, the call kind of ended with you know me being like, nice to talk to you. You're useless to me, right? And Matt going like, this freaking pilot, like, and hang up, right? And so I think it's just the beauty of that story that not only did that app get out, but that, uh, you know, Matt went on to continue to do great things. And then we met back up at literally like 1.30 in the morning, manning a help desk for another urgent operational need that was 
way more insane than a little Quizlet app. So I think that just sums up so much about P1. Like they're willing to bring people that maybe shouldn't be in into the fold to make you, you know, make us champions, make us see the light on some of this stuff, right? And then to be willing to work late into the night uh, and to be willing to inspire people, right? Like I was this rando and I probably worked 18 to 20 hour days for two weeks on this help desk. And honestly, it's the most rewarding time I've had in the Air Force. Like I've gotten to do some cool things, but that was really, really cool. So I think that sums up like kind of the story of P1, the focus on getting the mission done and the focus on people and bringing the right people in, even if they don't wear like the right color uniform to work uh, at any given day. So I'd go back to those days in a heartbeat. I'd probably lose the rest of my hair in the process. Um, but I, I agree with Jackie. That was a, a really awesome time. And now you're giving me some serious FOMO that I didn't have a CAC at the time and couldn't get as involved. Uh, but that's an awesome story. A small world we live in, even though it's a huge world that we live in. Uh, all right, Ralphie, over to you. Favorite story. All right. Favorite P1 story. Um, there are many, but I think the the best one is from June of 2020 when I was PCSing from Alaska to Alabama and in the middle of COVID, at the height of COVID, uh, driving through Canada with no cell phone service, uh, trying to keep in touch with Rob and Nick to figure out how we could get our uh, get widow like its first fielding so that we could bring it to the weapons school in like two weeks and through all the cell phone gaps and everything we stopped in Alberta and I had a message that the next day we were going to have a zoom with Nick Rob all the p1 you know greats and originals and uh, Matt Houston as well to say okay let's review the code review the security scans all of the stuff and then three days later, we had Widow live in P1 and available on a military network. Like it was insane that it went that fast, but just seeing, you know, the dedication of, of that team and, you know, the senior leaders to like actually make something happen uh, was, was really cool. Um, and, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of struggles to get there, but um, I, I think it showed the, the technical focus of P1 from the beginning, right? And being able to see that we can take things from industry and uh, and use them and scale them. And it's it doesn't all have to be built here, paid here, bought here kind of thing, uh, which which was really cool to see. Yeah, and, and maybe to kind of wrap up this, this episode, I wanted to kind of end with something we began with that I hinted at earlier about just the power of collaboration between application and, and platform. Um, you guys shared some fun stories and, and it, it kind of warms my heart, right? It was a bunch of people. It is a bunch of people that are involved in this that really only care about mission value delivery. Like nobody took no for an answer. Everybody was willing to roll up their sleeves and do whatever it took to deliver. Um, and it just, that was like, and I, I briefed this when we had VPs come through to talk about P1 every single time is that platform one in and of itself is not special. The special part about platform one is the community that supports platform one. And it's not just internal to platform one, right? It's it's all of you from apps or 
manning the help desk. I mean, I remember those times too. We literally had people that we called in Germany and Hawaii that we could start doing 24 seven in a more sustainable way because people's day schedules then basically covered like a day swing mid, which was just amazing, right? Um, and it just proved that, you know, if we work together, there's, there's literally not a single problem we can't solve, um, especially when we're not willing to take no for an answer. So this is, a, I, I said earlier in this season that the culture episode was my favorite, but this, this might have overtaken it because we filmed it after, we taped it afterwards, but this has been a lot of fun. So, so Jackie, Ralphie, and Krista, I just want to say thank you, not, not only for joining the podcast and sharing your stories, but um, literally P1 wouldn't exist without the three of you and, and a couple others just like you that were out there. So I really appreciate it.